I'm going to be teaching on the gift of faith and gifts of healing. And in your manual, it's a 15-page lesson um, with gifts of healing coming second and just beginning to scratch the surface. We have a whole set of Empowered for Witness that's on the healing ministry of Jesus Christ. And so I'm not going to go into great depth about any of the healing that I talk about tonight. I'm just going to kind of overview. But I'd like you to know that if you're using the outline page for notes, I'm going to start on the back side of the page, and I'm going to talk about gifts of healing first, and then move to talking about the gift of faith. The two are hand in glove. Uh, very often the gift of faith is needed to partner with gifts of healing. And you're hearing me use the plural. It's actually gifts of healings in the Greek um, in 1 Corinthians 12 when Paul says to some are given the gift, one is given the gift of faith, to another is given gifts of healings. Plural. So I want to begin by um, telling you a story of healing, talking a little bit about Jesus' healing ministry, and then transitioning to talk about the gift of faith. Pastor Gina and I were at a conference down south a number of years ago, and one of our colleagues in leadership was um, was moved with compassion, deep compassion, for another colleague in leadership who walked was had a bent spine that was bent so bad that he literally like walked like this like like every step was painful to watch and um, when you're beginning to learn to work with the Lord in healing ministry and to discern how he wants to move one of the key things to watch for is compassion because Jesus it's Jesus compassion it's his love that draws him towards people to heal and so when you feel compassion welling in your heart, that could very well be a sign the Lord's moving you toward praying for a person for healing. So our brother was feeling deep compassion for another brother, and he said, we have got to make time somewhere to pray for this man. Well, it just so happened that in worship one evening, we were a really small group, and it felt like in worship, the Lord moved us toward a time of praying for this gentleman who was bent over and um, like couldn't walk straight. As we began to pray for physical healing, the Lord led us to ask questions about how long he'd been this way and moving backwards toward a root. And it turned out that we found ourselves listening to him tell a childhood story of absolute horrible pain that many kids have gone through in elementary school in terms of bullying and rejection, where he ended up sharing with us, um, this is not his real name, but um, he let hearing taunts of Richard the retard, Richard the retard. And as he was sharing this deep pain, we could. the Lord began to show us how his very sense of himself had been twisted and bent and was being reflected in his body. And so we moved into healing, inner healing ministry, where he was invited to forgive those who wounded him and to bless them and to release them. 
And as he did, um, there was deliverance ministry that needed to happen. He had been afflicted or oppressed by lying spirits that had taken advantage of the trauma. It's sort of, uh, it's, trauma is a gateway for, for um, unclean spirits or deceiving spirits to gain ground, and they became embedded within his very way of thinking about himself, his personality structure. And so even though he, he had lived a life in ministry and served others, he completely had the lowest view of self you could imagine, um, almost didn't take himself seriously because of this wounding. And so we moved into inner healing ministry. We moved into deliverance ministry. And, and we watched this man's body begin to cha- change shape. We watched his spine begin to straighten out as Jesus healed his heart, healed his inner being, delivered him from in- spirits of infirmity that were causing that bentness and setting him free. It was absolutely glorious. Jesus heals. And the good news of the kingdom of God is that he is healing or restoring all things. When Peter's preaching, after he and um, James had gone into the temple and healed the lame man at, at the temple, and then they've got a huge crowd gathered, and now Peter's preaching to the crowd, and he says, repent Turn to the Lord so that times of refreshing may come to you and that he may send the Messiah for he must remain in heaven until the time comes for him to restore all things. He began restoring in his ministry. There's a time coming when he's going to restore all things. He says in Revelation 21, Behold, I'm making all things new. And in the interim, He is still restoring. He's healing. It's his basic work. And so I want to quickly name six ways that Jesus is healing because we join him in all of these in one way or another. The first way is he's giving spiritual healing. What does that mean? It means we move from orphans to sons and daughters. We move from slaves to sin to Free. We move from cut off to in relationship with God. We move from dead to alive. That's spiritual healing. Every time a person comes to faith in Jesus Christ, they come into the family of God. They come back into relationship with God. There's reconciliation that happens. It's healing of a ruptured relationship. It's the most important, most basic kind of healing. And we ought to never lose sight of it. Second type of healing that Jesus brings is inner healing. Isaiah 61 says, uh, The Spirit of the Lord is upon him to bind up the brokenhearted. And that includes every single person in this room in one way, shape, form, or another. We've all been bruised, wounded, hurt along the journey. Even those who are raised in the church and in the Lord... uh, You know, we hurt our kids. We're sinners. We say things in anger. We sometimes even a look that's the wrong kind of look can be hurtful. So Jesus heals. 
he knows, he's, he liberates, he sets free, he knows what we need to be um, made whole, restored in the image of God, to be able to love ourselves and love God with our whole heart. And he comes and he heals in our, our, our hearts. He also heals our bodies. We're going to receive new bodies in the new creation. And yet, that's not the only healing he gives. He heals physically now. And that healing now is a sort of a harbinger of things to come. So again, a, a lot to say about that. I'm just skimming the surface here. Jesus brings relational healing. In Christ, there's not male or female, slave or free, Jew or Gentile, Scythian or Greek, but all are one. All divisions melt away or ought to in the body of Christ. One new humanity, the scripture says, all the dividing walls come down. And so the work of Jesus is to bring individual reconciliation where there's been broken relationships, but it's also to bring reconciliation between people groups, nations. Some incredible stories about reconciliation between like Palestinian um, and, and Arabs, Palestinians and Jews. He came to reconcile the Hutus and the Tutsis. The Ukrainians and the Russians. He came to reconcile all humanity. When we, when he returns, there will be one family standing in front of that cross. Singing, worshiping, bringing glory and honor. Relational healing between ethnicities. In Christ. There's healing for all of the racial tension, division, pain. This world knows. He's also bringing restoration of the created order. Romans 8 says There's, there will be no more bondage to decay. That the land itself will return to a fruitfulness and an abundance as the river of life, which we heard about earlier runs through it right we human beings aren't the only ones who've been impacted our sin has had an impact on the very created order it groans under the weight of it and that too will be restored isaiah paints a picture of the kingdom to come where the lion is laying down with the lamb and there's not this this tension and division in the animal kingdom a restored created order and then finally sixth jesus Healing ministry includes overcoming the devil and delivering or casting out evil spirits. So 1 John 3 says, the reason the Son of Man came was to destroy the devil's works. He triumphed over the powers and principalities at the cross. He defeated them through his atoning death and resurrection. He is the reigning Lord. But he also evicts them from human hearts and lives. He evicted them in his ministry, and now he empowers us to evict them. And that's a normal part of the kingdom advancing. 
Some of you are wondering, can Christians have unclean spirits? The answer is yes. Not within our spirit. That's where the Holy Spirit dwells. That is the holy of holies. So I'm not going to do in-depth teaching here, but we very much can be oppressed within the realm of our body and our soul, our mind, emotions, and will. And just like I shared with you that story about um, how the Lord delivered me from fear, right? There was a real, when I got beat up and I stopped being able to trust people, there was a real spirit of fear that was afflicting me, that was tormenting me, keeping me even from fully trusting and knowing the love of God. Um, they're not to be feared in any way. They're so inferior to Jesus, they're almost not even worth mentioning out loud. But they're real, and they need to be evicted. Okay? So Jesus brings spiritual healing, he brings inner healing, he brings physical healing, he brings relational healing, he's restoring the created order, and he's overcoming the devil, and he's casting out evil spirits. And that's the work we're joining him in. And all of that work requires faith. Not the kind of faith that brings us into the kingdom of God, that's saving faith, but the gift of faith that Paul describes when he says to some or to one is given the gift of faith. So what's the difference? Well, one of them, remember from EFW 101 where we talked about the two motifs of the Holy Spirit's work? One of them was an inner work that brought character transformation. The other was an outer work. It was an episodic coming upon work that would advance the kingdom of God. You think about the, the saving faith that we have. That's an inner, ongoing work. We continue. Our heart is changed. Our heart comes to faith in Jesus Christ. We profess with our mouth and believe in our heart that he's Lord. And our heart is changed. We receive a new heart. And we live and walk in faith ongoingly. We don't stop believing. We don't stop trusting. It's an ongoing work. The manifestational gift of faith is different. It's not something that's on us all the time. It's the Holy Spirit in a particular moment or time or sometimes a series of moments coming upon a person or sometimes a group and giving them this supernatural belief that God is going to do something, that God wants to do something, that God will do something. And oftentimes that faith is partnered with the willingness then to step into a situation as the very conduit or one that the Lord's going to work through. Because he somehow, whether it's maybe he's given a word of knowledge, maybe he's given a prophetic word, maybe he's just birthed a deep inner knowing and confidence within a person, the Lord wants to do something Whatever way it is that he gives it, he, he gifts this, God is going to move. God is going to heal or deliver or grow this ministry. Or, and it, it's always uh, partnered with action of some sort. Most of the time by the person receiving the gift, but not always. So... Let's look at a few examples of how this gift is manifested in Jesus' life because this, this, this gift is basically fundamental to the kingdom of God advancing. It's always at work. Where you see the kingdom advancing, the gift of faith is at work. And sometimes it looks really big. Sometimes it doesn't look as big, but it's always a gift from the Holy Spirit. Okay. So when Jesus breaks bread and he gives it to his disciples and he says, tell people to sit in 50s and hand this out. You are seeing the gift of faith. 
He didn't personally multiply it. He didn't personally make it spread out. He has the confidence that as he breaks it, blesses it, thanks God, and hands it out, something's going to happen between him doing that and 5,000 people or 5,000 men, how many women and children, 15,000 people maybe, getting fed. As he breaks the bread, he's acting in faith. As he walks on water, fully human being. And he senses the Father's calling me to walk out to my disciples in the storm. And they're in the middle of the lake. I don't think he saw very many people walking on water growing up. I don't think he had a role model for this. I think it took great faith for him to step out and walk on the water. It also took faith for him to speak to the wind and to the waves and say, Quiet! Be still! And to believe that as he spoke, the Father by the Spirit would use his words as the raw material for causing something to happen. He spoke the words, the Spirit made it happen. Okay? Jesus, every time he placed his hands on a sick person, on a lame person, on a diseased person, on a demonized person to drive out a spirit, every time he placed his hands on and said, be opened, be set free, he's trusting, he has confidence that the Spirit will work by and through those words to bring the healing, to open the eyes, to cleanse of the disease, to drive out the Spirit. When he stands in front of Jairus' daughter and he says, get up, little girl. When he stands in front of Lazarus' tomb and he says, Lazarus, come out. He is expressing the gift of faith. I speak, God acts or will act through it even to raise the dead. And one more. This one really strikes me. As he allows himself to be led like a lamb to the slaughter. I believe this is the supernatural gift of faith. He allows himself to be beaten, tortured, and his life snuffed out. And he he so entrusts the resurrecting power of the Father, the word of the Father, that he allows his life to be taken, only to be resurrected. This is this, this um, gift of faith given by the Holy Spirit, born in the heart as the Father shows what he's wanting to do and Jesus moves, receives, and I would, I, I'd like to explain it like this, receives and expresses faith. Receives and expresses. Because remember he says, I only do what I see the Father doing. So he didn't heal everybody, 
But he goes into a pool of Bethesda and he heals one man. He saw the father that day bringing healing to that man. And he goes to that man and he says, do you want to be well? 38 years. And speaks to him, calls him to take up his, his mat and walk. In that moment, he receives from the father and then expresses the faith that today you will be healed. Okay? Receives and expresses. We see the disciples doing the same thing after Pentecost, after the Holy Spirit comes on them with power. We see them begin to receive and express faith, the gift of faith, multiple different ways. So Pentecost sermon, I think Peter getting up to preach that message was like signing a death warrant. If God did not protect his life. He got up and preached repentance to the very people that crucified Jesus and wanted and wanted him dead. I took I think it was a Holy Spirit birthing within him this awareness. God wants to do something in Jerusalem today. He's just poured out his spirit on us like he promised. And he told us to proclaim the gospel. And so I'm going to, and he said from Jerusalem to Judea to the end of the earth. And so the Holy Spirit's here. He told us to wait. And now we've got power from the Spirit. He's clothed us. I'm going to preach. And he stands up and he begins to preach. Repent. You killed the Messiah. And, and they have like the greatest start to any church plant in one day, right? 3,000 people. Come into the faith because because he had the gift of faith in that moment. The Holy Spirit was on him to believe God is wanting to work and move here. And I'm going to give him my voice myself. Okay, so then two chapters later, Peter and John are at the temple. They're walking in and they see this lame man. He's begging. And in that moment, there's this inspired thought from the Lord. I want to heal. And Peter says, silver and gold. I don't have any. But what I have, I give to you. He receives and expresses faith in the name of Jesus Christ. Get up and walk. And he does. Peter travels to Lydda. And uh, we see him saying to a paralytic, Anus. Anus? I don't quite know how to say that. But anyways. Aeneas. Thank you. The first one I said was wrong. (laughs) Anyways, the guy had been bedridden for eight years. Eight years. And Peter does what he saw his master do. In this moment, he receives and he expresses the gift of faith. Aeneas. Aeneas. Lift up your mat and walk. Then he moves on to Joppa. And everybody's in... um, disconsolate, weeping because Tabitha, whom they love, has died. And again, the Spirit inspires and gives the gift of faith. And Peter says, everybody out. And he prays. Notice he doesn't just move right in right right away. He prays. And then from the place of prayer, speaks to her, prays over her, and resurrects her. Or the Lord, through him, resurrects her from the dead. This is how the kingdom of God advances. As people watch, Lord, what are you doing? And he shows what he wants to do. And often it comes through requests from people. Requests for prayer. Requests for help, right? 
Peter, come help us. Peter, come pray. Would you give me gold or silver? Have compassion. And those with eyes to see, see what does the Lord want to do. And the Lord comes and he gives faith in the moment. And they partner with the Lord and they express that faith. So I want to tell two, two stories quickly to close of receiving and expressing that faith. Um, and these are uh, intentional. One story is receiving and expressing it over time. Uh, because that's important too. So it's Pastor Gina's story of being called to Gold Avenue Church. Um, this is the last place on earth where she thought she'd be called. When she graduated seminary, she felt the Lord say to her, um, don't go seeking a job, pray and wait for invitation. And so she prayed and waited well over a year. And then somewhere in the year to year and a half mark, got two separate invitations and eventually offers. One from a suburban, affluent church that could offer her a full salary, that had a much clearer defined position, and the other one from Gold Avenue Church who was offering a halftime position who didn't know where half of our own funds were coming from every year, let alone could say where any of the funds for her position were going to come from, but we're just creating the position of faith. But that's just getting started. She thought she was called to church planting. We were 85 years old. She felt called to work with young people, raising up and, and nurturing young people. We had hardly any young people. She felt attracted to a certain style of worship. Ours at the time was nothing like it. Couldn't have been more opposite. Our building at the time was old, dark, drab, dreary. You wouldn't have wanted to be here. It's had a wonderful makeover. Thank you, Chess and Jan, for all your designing and work. But you wouldn't believe how far. There was nothing in this call, humanly speaking, that looked like what God was calling to, that was attractive in any way, shape, or form. The only thing she had was the sense that God was saying, that's where I'm calling you. Just that. And she didn't want to. I can be honest here, right? All right, good. She didn't want to. It was a battle. His ability to stay present to the, his calling for her. And I believe the fruit of her asking, receiving, and expressing the gift of faith by obedience to Jesus' call will only fully be known in eternity. I can't begin to tell you how much fruit I've seen born through her ministry in this place. And I believe there's much, much more to come. So that's, it's the gift of faith being expressed over time. It's important to name that because some of you are in or are going to be in situations where that's going to be required of you ongoingly. 
Here's an in-the-moment situation. 2015, we're teaching Growing the Church in the Power of the Holy Spirit at Calvin Seminary, and Mary Sternberg, who's not able to be here tonight, was teaching on um, the gifts and manifestations of the Holy Spirit. And in the middle of her teaching, she felt the prompt from the Lord, invite Dave up to tell his story of receiving the gift of tongues. Now, remember, I told you it's been a journey. That was seven years ago. Uh, I, I was not yet fully comfortable myself just getting used to telling that story, okay? So she invites me up to tell that story, and I thought, well, I'll tell the story, Lord, I'll tell the story. So I'm telling the story, and all of a sudden, I can see, as I'm telling the story, I can, I can see hunger in people. I can see people are desiring that gift from the Lord. And I sense this prompt from the Lord in my own heart. If you stop and offer to pray for people right now, I will give them the gift and other gifts. Not that clear, not like in words, but an impression. And I wavered. And I said, Lord. And then faith came. I felt it. And I knew, move in. And so I just stopped and I said, friends, I sense that as I'm telling you this story about receiving the gift, there are people here that are hungry and that want to receive that gift. And I sense the Lord wanting to give it right now. And so if that's you, I'm going to pray a prayer of impartation. I just invite you to extend your hands and um, receive from the Lord. And I prayed for the group. And he came on that group in way more than just the gift of tongues. He started healing people. He healed hearts. He healed bodies. He gave visions. He gave callings to ministry. He gave the gift of tongues. People were weeping in various places across the auditorium at Calvin Seminary. Because he gave first Mary and then me the ability to receive and express the gift of faith in a moment. You're here. You're working as you're giving us the eyes to see what you're wanting to do and the faith and the courage to step in, name it, and invite you to work. Okay? You've got the basic pattern, right? It's kind of plain to see. Okay, how do we nurture this? How do we grow in faith and nurture it? Very quickly, immerse yourself in Scripture. You cannot get enough. Faith begets faith. When you read stories of God working, of God like breaking open a sea, of God delivering from Egypt, of God moving through worshipers going out in front of an army, of God healing people. And he says, I'm the same. I don't change. You read to nurture faith and um, just, just cherish Love the word of God. I spend over an hour with the word every morning, not for work, just to be with the Lord in his word. Be mentored by people of faith. So you can be mentored in a number of different ways. You can be mentored by reading biographies. Anna and I have got a collection of missionary biographies that, um, especially early on in our time here at Gold, we just read story after story after story after story of how God has worked through people. George Mueller, Hudson Taylor, etc., etc. But you can be mentored by people that um, aren't already with the Lord. You can be mentored by people that are still alive. So be around people that are filled with faith. 
um, keep company with them, ask them to mentor you. You can be mentored online. I've got multiple people that I've never met that I feel like are mentors because I've listened to their teaching for years online. They move in faith and um, they're rooted in the word and I just listen and receive from them. C, pray for the gift. Ask and you will receive. And then Jesus says, he or she who asks, and the, the tense there is present continuous, keeps on asking, will receive. So ask with faith for faith. And I guarantee you it will come and it will grow. And when you, when you do that, here's the fourth, you can't neglect this. Act in obedience. The moment you start praying for an increase in faith, The Lord will lead you. He'll give an increase in opportunities to touch people, to speak to people about the gospel, about his love, to pray for healing, whatever it is. So obey the prompts. Step out. Be uncomfortable, even if it doesn't go well. I love this. Lonnie shared with us a couple of Sundays ago about feeling a prompt. A guy in the parking lot at Menards, his keys weren't broken, were broken, weren't working on his car. And he went over and he asked if he could pray for the keys and he did, and the Lord didn't do anything, and he, wa- he walked away. And um, listen, when you put yourself out there and you show the Lord, I am willing to look foolish for you, he honors that, and he blesses that, and he rewards that. He watches for it. He tests us. There will be times where you will pray, and you will intentionally not receive an answer, because the Lord wants to mature us. He wants to see, are you going to keep praying be- just when you get answers, or are you going to pray because your heart is motivated to bless people, love people, help people, represent me everywhere in faith? Okay. Fifth, practice trust in small things, and God will grow you to bigger things. So a couple of small examples. You might first express the gift of tongues in your prayer closet at home. Just you and the Lord, surrender to the Lord, offering him your tongue in private worship. And then it might be quite some time later that you feel him leading you to give a message in tongues in a public setting. And that that would require m- much more faith. But you don't necessarily start there. You start here. You offer yourself in that private surrender. God grows the gift. And then at some point he expresses, he, he, he calls for you to receive and express the faith to use it publicly. Same thing with the gift of prophecy. The Lord might start you with writing cards to people where you go, Lord, what scripture, what message do you want to give? And you write a card and you send it. And he might move you from there all the way to receiving very clear, specific messages with um, revelation that you could not know except by hearing from him that goes right to the heart, helps, strengthens, comforts, opens hearts. But you start with the small and you move You take steps toward the bigger, okay? Last thing, if you want to grow in faith, don't avoid the impossible. That might sound like a strange thing to say, but um, if you don't watch it, your, your worldview will keep you from the impossible. Only one person got out of a boat and walked to Jesus on the water when Jesus was walking on water. Only one. All 12 of them were following that rabbi. And in Jewish culture, what the rabbi does, the student can do. Only one got out. One said, 
I, no human being that I've ever seen has done this before. But now I'm seeing my rabbi do it. I will get out of the, I will, I will believe that I can get out of this boat and do something that is supernatural, that shouldn't happen, that is impossible. But he didn't avoid it. And for a few brief glorious moments, <laughs> he did walk on water. So we need eyes to believe, Lord, there's nothing that's impossible for you. And that takes developing. That takes a a renewing of the mind through scripture and by prayer and an ability to see the world through God's eyes. We sometimes say he has a redemptive solution for everything. Nothing's impossible for him. So, we're going to ask him to grow us in faith tonight. Give us gifts of faith and gifts of healing. And I wonder, Pastor Gina, should we have a small break first? I think so. All right. Let's have a short break. Let me, let me close this time in prayer, and then we'll take a short break. Lord, we ask that you would enable and empower us to trust you so deeply that we would not limit you from working through us in any way, but that we would continually offer ourselves to you in faith, that you would gift faith, and that you would grow the expressions of your kingdom, power, healing, good news through us. And we pray that you do that this evening, shortly after this break, Lord. Amen.